Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. For Samuel 25 tonight. So, we are watching our world, uh, crazy stuff. Stock market up and down, down and up. <laughs> uh, I just heard that a cameraman and a reporter were killed by, I don't know much details, but I guess somebody came up and shot them while it was being filmed in Virginia. So, um, just crazy stuff. Tonight we're going to be looking at the continuing shaping of David, the molding of a man after God's own heart. I think all of you probably, if you're a Christian tonight, would say you would want to have a heart after God. You want to have your heart be in line with heaven's heart and heaven's viewpoint. You want to have a worldview that lines up with the Bible. And even though when we really were introduced to David, we were introduced to the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, it didn't mean that his heart didn't need some molding. In fact, we've watched him, watched him go through this very difficult process where God is molding and shaping his heart. And so even though he's been declared to be the man for the job, the anointed one, he's been anointed already, he's been on the run from Saul, and God's been doing work in his life. And we saw last time we were together that he had a chance to take out Saul, and Saul came into the cave. It was marked men, remember that? And he went in there to, I'm quoting the Bible, relieve himself. And David had a chance to take him out. And his men were saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David left vengeance to God. And one of the things that I think you can see as God shapes your life, as a man or a woman of God, is you you start to want to leave more and more things in the hands of God. I mean, isn't it? Isn't that probably our biggest struggle is how much we're willing to give to God and trust him for the results and how much we want to try to grab ourselves. So David, even though he's this incredible warrior and he's taken down Goliath and he is an incredibly brave man, um, yet he's being taught by God to trust God. And he's going to come upon another scene now but his attitude is going to be completely different. And there's a man that wrongs him that he wants to kill. Not only does he want to kill this man, he wants to kill every male that's attached to his household. Because this is not God's anointed ruler. This is a different guy. And we'll talk about him in a second. And God is going to stay his hand, but it's going to be a little different. Instead of David talking his men out of taking Saul out, a woman is going to come to David and talk him out of doing harm and taking vengeance into his own hands. That's what's before us tonight, but there's a lot of sub-lessons. Let's pray for wisdom. Father, we do know you mold and shape the hearts of men and women who want to be more like you. Thank you that you are a master potter, ever shaping, ever molding. You do use storms, and you use times of difficulty, and even the refiner's fire that we've sung about over the years to mold and shape us. It's not always the place that we feel most comfortable, but we do know that they, those times produce something in us. And it's something of great value. And as we watch David on the run from Saul and running all over the wilderness, hiding in ga- caves, not the best of conditions, and yet he's your man. And you're doing a shaping work in his life. And we pray tonight that we would be able to hold on to that, that uh, just because we are your people doesn't mean you stop molding and shaping. And 
We're grateful for that, and we pray that you'll give us that knowledge so that we can give more of our life to you, trust you with the results. So we ask for your guidance. You're leading by your Holy Spirit now as we get into your word. Add and take away from what I've prepared so that the hearts of the people who have gathered here tonight would be encouraged and challenged and blessed. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The molding of a man or a woman after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1 says, Then Samuel died, 1 Samuel 25, 1, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him. Now, the book is called 1 Samuel, and so this is a major marker in the book. Samuel dies. There's not a whole lot of attention given to this particular moment, but the book of 1 Samuel is written after Samuel's name. And if you go way back with me, you remember that Samuel was really the focus. There was a woman. She was barren. Her name was Hannah. She could not have children. She prayed to the Lord. She was being mocked by the second wife. And she was brought in because she could bear children and Hannah couldn't. And she cried and she called out to the Lord and she said, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And she did exactly that. And this little boy with his little robe uh, grew up in the temple and he learned to hear God's voice. And he became a kingmaker. He became the one that anointed Saul and then he would anoint Samuel. And he became a great leader of the nation. He was a man that grieved when God's heart was grieved. And he was a man who led mightily. In fact, he was the guy that everybody ran to. Saul ran to him. David ran to him. And now... You know, you, you watch a story unfold in the Bible. You see this little boy in the temple, and he's this great gift of God, and he's a Nazarite from birth, and he's dedicated to God, and he lives his life, and then all of a sudden you come to a moment in a chapter, and it says, and then Samuel died. And the amazing thing about Samuel's popularity, if you look at verse 1, it says, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him. I just have a question. What are you living for, and when your story is written, and it will be, and unless the Lord comes in our lifetime, um, your story is going to come to an end. There's going to be an ending date on this side of heaven when you will have lived your life. Your story will be written, and then the question will be, what was it really about? You got one shot at this, folks. Reincarnation is a lie. It's a new age lie. The Bible says it's appointed to man to die once, and after this comes what? Judgment, which means that there is life after death, and you will be judged based upon what you did with Jesus Christ. Well, Samuel was a servant of Almighty God, and the people mourned for him, and they buried him at his house in Ramah. Uh, You will notice that when you see major characters in the Bible die, they are buried. People have asked questions about um, cremation, and... uh, I know that in in our modern day and with cost and stuff like that, this question has come to me, and I'll bring it up just for a second just to tell you, the the mode of dealing with the dead in the Bible is burial. But I do know that, um, I will say this to you, that cremation is not an unpardonable thing or anything like that. In fact, I would just say it's really not that major of an issue But I will tell you this, the idea and concept of cremation and the sprinkling of ashes is a new age concept or it's an Eastern concept because the idea is that when the body dies and you sprinkle the ashes, it it has this idea of merging back into the great one. It's it's really an Eastern based mode of dealing with the dead. 
the Jews would bury their dead. Then they would put the bones in ossuaries, and they would do that to honor the fact that there would be a resurrection. Now, let me just say this, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I'll say this. At some point, everybody that's been buried is going to decompose, right? And in the end, it, it really doesn't matter. But I will say this, the most appropriate way I think that you can deal with the dead is burial. That's what I see in the Bible. However, if cremation becomes something that you do, and it's the only option you have, it's not a big deal but I do want to answer the question that some people ask me. And now it's on record. I believe that's the most appropriate way to anticipate the resurrection, but it is not an essential issue, okay? Now Samuel died, verse 1, and all Israel gathered together and they mourned for him. The Jews would often mourn for 30 days. In fact, uh, at the record of the death of Moses and the record of the death of Aaron, the people of Israel gathered together and mourned them for 30 days. So sometimes people say, well, you know, should believers mourn? After all, Moses is still alive. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, right? Moses appears in the Gospels. He probably reappears in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as one of the two witnesses. Yet he was mourned. Um, Aaron is mourned, and here now Samuel is mourned, and we're told in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. My point is simply this. When somebody dies, you ought to mourn. But you don't mourn like those who have no hope beyond the grave. Now, if you're not a Christian, and you don't know that there's hope beyond the grave, then then that's a sad situation. And we as pastors, we uh, we sometimes get called into situations, I, I adjusted a little bit, Josiah. We, get, we sometimes get called into situations where we don't know what happened with that person. In fact, I remember uh, one situation where I was called into a home and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of faith there and the people were just drinking and trying to drown their sorrows. They didn't know what to do. And they had called me in there because I was you know, kind of like the pastor in the circle. And I remember sitting there and all these people are getting drunk and I'm thinking, Lord, what am I doing here? I I don't belong here. I just need to leave. And then the Lord spoke a scripture to my heart. He said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Stay there. Okay. So the people gathered together. They buried him in his house in Ramah and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, I don't think it's incidental that David arises at this point, and it's, it happens right after the death of Samuel. I've been telling you that as you watch David, you're seeing something else happen on a sub-level, and that is that the Messiah is emerging. He is casting a shadow. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. He is called the son of David in the Bible. He's the greater David. He comes from the line of the family of David. And David becomes in many ways a type of the Messiah, the anointed one. David was anointed as the king. He doesn't have the throne yet. Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. And one day he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And do you remember when John the Baptist died? This is Matthew, I think it's chapter 11. When John the Baptist died, maybe it's chapter 14, um, Jesus went off in a boat to a lonely place all by himself. He went to grieve the death of John. And I think there's a shadow here of how uh, David grieves the death of Samuel. 
there's the, there's the response of Jesus. And, you know, if you ever wondered about the love of Jesus, remember that when Jesus was at the, the funeral of a friend, Lazarus, what did he do? He cried. You know, God is not some distant deity who doesn't care about us. Jesus' tears at Lazarus' tomb show us that God cares about us, that he does love us. And so uh, David gets up now, and he goes to this lonely place, and he may be alone. And it may be that this has happened at this time, because if you look back uh, to chapter 24 and look at verse 20, Saul acknowledges after David spares his life, he says, Now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And then if you go to 25.1, it says Samuel died. Could it be that the Bible is implying that Samuel's work was done? Saul has acknowledged that David will be the ruler of Israel and now Samuel's work is over. So he can go home, if you will, to be with the Lord. You have a work to do and when that work is done, God may just take you home. And that may be implied here, but that's what's going down. So all these people gather. They are mourning for uh, Samuel, where Jesus went alone uh, to a lonely place is Matthew 14, 12, and 13. Now the, the camera pans and it shifts to a man. It says, now there was a man, 25-2, in Maon, whose business was in Carmel, not in the north, not the mountain in the north, but a local, more local town in the south. In fact, this is a place where Saul made a monument to himself. You know you have an ego problem when you're making statues to yourself. His business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, literally very great in Hebrew, and he had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was sharing his sheep in Carmel. Now here's a parenthetical statement. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil. You have an NIV, it says he was surly and mean in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. By the way, the name Caleb in Hebrew is the word dog. In the Hebrew picture language, it actually means all heart. Is there a better word for a dog? They are all heart. But in this case, Nabal is a dog. Not in a good sense. He's a dog. He's surly. He's mean. He is the opposite of his bride. She's intelligent and beautiful, and he is wicked and evil. I know they say opposites attract, but I'm not sure. (laughs) In this case, when you hear more about Nabal, you're going to think this was an arranged marriage. How could she marry this guy? In fact, Nabal's name means fool. Literally, fool. Now, I don't know if that's a name his mom and dad gave him. I don't know if that's a name that other people gave him. Or I don't know if it was like the modern day people when they go, hey, fool, hey, fool. People do do that. I don't know why. The Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool, literally, Nabal has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The word for fool in Psalm 14.1 is Nabal. He's a fool. Who is a fool in the Bible's vernacular? Not a person who's short on intelligence. Not a person who's, you know, uh, whatever. What do they say? A couple fries short of a Happy Meal or whatever, whatever it is. Not short in intelligence, but a person who refuses to do things God's way. That is a fool. 
A person who shakes their fist in the, in the light of the evidence that there is a designer and a creator and says, nope, I will do it my way. I will live my way. Nabal was from the house of Caleb. Now, Caleb was no fool. In fact, in Joshua 14, 14, it says that he, Caleb, followed the Lord God of Israel fully. That is Joshua 14, 14. Remember that verse. It was only um, Joshua and Caleb who were able to enter the promised land from that generation. Caleb believed the Lord when everybody else was whining and they thought it was too big to take. And Caleb was the one that says, we can do this by God's power. And Caleb was a man who followed the Lord fully. Are you? Am I? Has this generation seen a person who truly follows the Lord fully with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their strength? Is that what you want to be? You want to be uh, just a nominal Christian? Is that good enough for you? you? You read your Bible every now and then. You pray every now and then. You go to church when it's convenient. Is that what you want? Nominal? No, it was said of Caleb. He followed the Lord fully. So Nabal certainly did not follow in his family line. He didn't live up to his family lineage. But he was very wealthy. He had a lot going on. But wealth does not make you smart. And it doesn't make you good. Abigail, in contrast to her husband, her name means my father is joy or rejoicing. And she was a solid gal. Now David... Uh, Verse 4, it says, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. Now the shearing of the sheep could happen two times during the year, and in shearing the sheep, you'd make money. And if you had these large amounts of flocks, 4,000, then you would be making money. And it was a festive occasion. The, The sheep shearing was almost like another festival for Israel. It would be a joyous time. It would be a time when a man like this was making a lot of money. And so David sends his men. Remember, they're living in caves in the wilderness. They're on the run. They're, you know, they don't have a whole lot of supplies. So he says, uh, go in my name. Go in the name of David, verse 6. And thus you shall say, have a long life. Peace be to you and peace to your house. And peace to all that you have. Peace, 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 right? So come, go in my name. I want you to approach this guy, and we're going we're gonna to look for this guy to lend us some help. Jesus sent out the 12 in Matthew chapter 10, and he said, I want you to go out to the lost sheep of Israel, and I want you to go house to house. And when you do, if there's somebody worthy of leaving your peace there, then leave it. But if they reject you, and they won't accept what you say, wipe the dust off your feet in protest to that city and say, see you later right? And just move on to the next place. Well, there's an there's a offer of peace here. The name of David is being put forth. David is the, uh, the shadow of the Messiah. Think about coming to somebody in Jesus' name. Look at verse 7. And now I have heard that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that uh, they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, this is what David's telling them to say now, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find, this is not a big uh, request, at your hand, uh, at hand to your servants and to your son David. So David humbles himself. 
Uh, David's very well known. Everybody, I think, around knows that he's going to become the king now. He's the giant slayer. He's the anointed one. It's pretty clear. This guy's got a great reputation as a man of God. And so he comes to this fool. <laughs> That's his name. He comes to Nabal and he says, look, we, when you guys were out there in the open and when you had this many flocks, you were, thieves would target you. So if they could steal your flocks and they could take down your shepherds, they would. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So the shepherds had to be on watch. Well, David had 600 men and they were warriors. And so they provided protection, we're going to find out, for Nabal and his sheep. And, and since he didn't lose anything, it helped him make more money. So when David's young men came, verse 9, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. They said, we come in the name of David. And they waited. They told him about what David's request was. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Well, how does he know he's the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. So what does the fool Nabal do? When David comes with a request and David has blessed him, David could have charged for protection, but he didn't. He just says, whatever you have around, help us out, man. We're, not, we're coming on this festive day. We know you're doing well. We've protected you. Just give us a little something. And who, who is David? He's probably like a lot of these guys that are running away from their masters. You know, there are people and they are presented the gospel. And they say, who is Jesus? Just one of many religious leaders that people say, you know, you got to get to know. And they dismiss him as just another uh, option for life, another way maybe for a better life, or many roads, you know, and they'll all lead you to the same place. However, this Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to this. And no one comes to the Father, to God, except through me. Now, Jesus did not say he's one of many options. He said he is the only way to God. Now, if somebody says to you, well, that's very narrow. That's, that's very, you know, uh, exclusive, is it not? Yes, it is exclusive. Here's your response. But I didn't say it. Because sometimes people say to you, well, that's just your opinion. No, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. So now you have to wrestle with, with, with whether or not Jesus is telling the truth or not. Now people sometimes say, well, maybe that Bible passage is not accurate then. So then what we're doing is now we're going to go to a manuscript argument. Is the Bible reliable? I, I know that most of you can make a good case for that. But see, that's a deflection. Jesus actually said he's the singular way to God. So that's what you have to wrestle with. Well, Nabal just just pushes it off. He says, I, I, I don't care. And then notice what he says. Shall I, verse 11, then take my bread and my water? I think there's seven uh, first person references here. My bread, my water, my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I don't know. You mean you don't know who David is? So what you see is something that we might just list as my, my, my. What a selfish man. What a fool. The future king has come to you. Just asking for a little bit to get by. And what does the fool do? Oh, I don't know who you are. and I don't care. It's my stuff. And also, this future king had provided protection for this man. 
And yet, he doesn't care. So David, David's young men retraced their way and went back. And I'm sure they were a little flustered. And they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. Get your guns, boys. <laughs> this is a quick reaction. I think everybody was probably hungry and cranky. Verse 39 says, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. David was almost committed to wanting to do the wrong thing. Not trusting in God, he went with his human emotions. Because he was insulted, Nabal had held back that which what he requested was maybe some provision, some food. Nabal, we see he's just the contrary man. His wife recognizes that that's exactly what he is. David gets angry. He wants to go do some harm to him, but she intercedes. What can we see in this chapter that is special or perhaps even continuing on the study of chapter 24? When we close these programs, Oscar, we talked about wanting to give people an application. And I think this is a great one because moving, as you pointed out, from chapter 24 to 25, we had a lot of neat things to share, I think, about looking at our hearts and asking God for his heart and not repaying evil for evil. And as soon as you make a declaration like that, look out, because you're about to be tested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that Nabal has, you know, if you take his name and where he comes from, he kind of is this foolish dog of a man. He's just this fool. You know, he acts like a dog, <laughs> right? Yes. And, and we run into people like this. And, you know, David, you know, he goes from doing this great, honorable, noble thing that really is mind-blowing to everybody, even including his men, the readers, everything, with a what you mentioned seems to be a blank check to do what he wants. And now he runs into this kind of idiot guy. It's like, you know, maybe you heard a, a message and you said, okay, this week I'm going to uh, love like I've never loved before. I'm going to have the heart of God. I'm going to have his eyes. And then Nabal cuts you off. Right? <laughs> and now you're like, you know what? <laughs> right? You're, you're tempted to, to take things out of God's hands and put them into your hands. But then there's an Abigail. What would you say about Abigail's role? Abigail plays the role of David, as David did in the previous chapter. And what she does is that she is an intercessor here. She is a woman of God. She sees the potential uh, danger, not just for her husband, perhaps even for David. So what she does is that she intercedes. She gives David and his men the provisions that he had asked for. And in turn, the same as what happened with Saul, is that the hot coals on his head had cooled him down. And so he saw that, wow, because of you, God used you, your fear of God, now that prevented me from doing something really stupid on my part. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.